So John 11 and verse 1, page 897. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd been there, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odour. 
for he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Well, let me pray before we look at this passage together. Lord Jesus, you are the great teacher, the great prophet of your church. And we pray this morning that you would speak through your word again with every bit as as much power as you did to Lazarus at the tomb. Speak to our dry souls, uh, we pray, and give us life. Amen. As I said earlier, we're on week three now of this series, uh, Encounters with God. What's it like to meet God? And, and a common theme running through it has been that, that although we look very different and we, we seem very different, we present differently to one another, underneath, most human beings are very, very similar. Uh, we have the same kind of concerns, the same kind of questions, the same, same kind of fears and sorrows, joys and happinesses. Uh, we started by thinking about the question, is there a God and what's it like to meet him? And last week focused on the, the more narrow question of what's it like to meet God with my past, this sort of shadowy bag we drag along beside ourselves or behind ourselves rather, our, our guilt, all the things we've done that we, we want to stay buried and we want to keep out of sight. What's it like when we come to God and he sees that? Uh, this week I want to focus on a, on a slightly different question, which is what's it like to meet God when death draws near just one little word death such a short word but so hard to say have you ever tried to say it and just found yourself unable oh, I'm sorry that your mum has passed on that grandpa has passed away I'm sorry for your loss well he had a good innings didn't he we find it so hard to talk about people dying to say someone is dead. Now, the Victorians had a terrible time being able to talk about sex, just couldn't do it, but were totally obsessed with death. And someone's observed, we, we as a society, a society are totally the opposite. Sex everywhere, quite happy to talk about it. It's a sign that you're kind of you know, hip and with it and, and open and not stuff, stuck up. But we are totally stuffed up when it comes to death. We are unable to talk about it. I think of a, a family member, and, and we went to, to the grave of, a, of, a, of my grandpa, in fact. And this family member just, just couldn't even enter the graveyard, <laughs> just couldn't go near. They weren't, they weren't a Christian, they had no answer to the problem of death, and just couldn't go in. Death is just too devastating. It's the ultimate statistic, isn't it? One in one people die. And we're fools to forget it. Remember the, the stories about the, the, old, the old Roman generals when they, they conquered in the days of the Roman Empire and they, they paraded back into Rome with all their captives and the triumph and the crowds cheered and they would have the, the slave 
The slave just behind them whispering in their ear, memento mori, remember you will die. The people might be praising you. The emperor might be garlanding you with wreaths, but you will die. There's great wisdom there. 56 million people a year, apparently 150,000 a day, 6,000 every hour, 100 every minute. 300 have died since I began the sermon. Now, if you're new to church, you might be thinking, my life, what have I come along to this morning? Okay, so I was hoping for some sort of spiritual pick-me-up. What, what is this? It's just a bit of realism, isn't it? Okay, you know you will die, but very few people will tell you that. You are going to die. Even as Christians, we, we can sort of pretend that actually it's just something far, far, far away that we need never worry about until the last minute. And then, you know, God heals, God saves, God... But Christians die. You don't have to have lived very long to have had tragedy close to home. And so we're going to think about this question this morning. What's it like to meet God when death draws near? Now, we're not going to look at everything in the, uh, the story I just read. But really focus in on, on Jesus coming face to face with death. Uh, Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is God come to earth, God and man in one person. So if we want to know what God is like, how God faces death, then there's no better way than looking at, well, Jesus. I just want to look at two things very simply today. Two ways Jesus approaches death, and therefore two ways we can approach this great enemy with him. The first thing is he weeps. He weeps. Lazarus, uh, Mary and Martha, this little family who live in Bethany, a village not far from uh, Jerusalem, have obviously become close to Jesus. And Jesus is away elsewhere, but, but Lazarus gets ill and the message comes. And, and you'd expect Jesus to rush, wouldn't you? Uh, throughout the, the Gospels, throughout the story of his life so far, he's been able to heal people. Paralyzed men can walk again, blind can see, the deaf can hear, the sick are raised from their beds. So when one of his closest friends becomes ill, you'd expect Jesus to rush off, but he doesn't. In fact, he waits. Bizarre. He waits. Verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. Imagine that. Okay, you're a doctor. Okay, and you've got in your bag some life-giving medicine. Someone bashes on your door and says, look, uh, number 42, just down the street. Okay, he's dying. Sam's dying. But the very medicine you've got in your bag will save him. Sam's one of your closest friends. Let's go. And so you wait for a couple of days and then go. It's bizarre. Why would you do that? Sure, you rush. But Jesus doesn't. He waits. He deliberately waits. He waits, in fact, until Lazarus dies. Is it because he's cruel? No. It must be because he's got something even more significant to teach us through Lazarus' death than simply Lazarus' healing. Of course, sometimes God heals. As Christians, we pray for healing, and that is a good thing to do, and sometimes God answers, but not always. And not finally, one day you will die. One prayer for healing will just not, will just not be answered, at least not with a yes. So here Jesus is deliberately facing the ultimate enemy, death, rather than the secondary enemy, if you like, of sickness. And when he gets to the tomb, you see what happens? Just, just, just come with me to verse 32. You can feel Mary, the sister's pain, can't you? 
when Mary came to Jesus, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You could have saved him. Perhaps that's what you feel like this morning. God, if, if you'd only showed up and saved, healed, you could have done it. You can feel her pain, can't you? And the temptation when God hasn't come through for you, perhaps a close relative has died, someone you deeply loved has not been healed, your prayers haven't been answered, you can feel Mary's pain. And the temptation is to think God doesn't care. If he loved me, he would have saved my dad, he would have saved my mum, my sister, my child. So he cannot love me. Because if he did, he would have saved Look how Jesus responds. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who'd come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Jesus isn't indifferent to your pain and your suffering. He's not cold-hearted, a kind of heavenly executioner, just chopping people off left, right and centre without a care in the world. Jesus has come down and himself is greatly moved in his spirit, disturbed by this horrible enemy death that the scholars tell us that that word, that, that disturbed word, that greatly troubled, um, or sorry, deeply moved word is, is the same word as a, a horse kind of snorting with indignation. Jesus hates death. It was never meant to be part of this beautiful world that God made. Uh, death is an intruder, an imposter, a result of our rebellion, our sin. It, it was never part of the plan. It's not natural in that sense. And so as they take Jesus to the tomb, verse 35, shortest verse, at least in English in the Bible, Jesus wept. He weeps. He's not indifferent to your suffering. He's not indifferent to this great enemy, death. God himself, God the Son, comes and weeps. Jesus is described elsewhere in the Bible as a man of sorrows, someone acquainted with grief. So when it comes to your time to face death, that if you do so with Jesus, you are facing death with someone, someone who knows the pain. Whether it's your death or the death of someone close to you, Jesus knows that pain. He is truly human. Yes, he's God, but he's truly human as well. God doesn't suffer. God is in heaven, he's a Beyond the universe, God himself in himself cannot suffer, but Jesus has become man and can therefore suffer and has suffered voluntarily. In the car, we've been listening as a family at, uh, at times to some of the Narnia stories, you know, the C.S. Lewis Narnia stories, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, but in the first one, The Magician's Nephew, uh, there's a little boy, uh, Diggory, and Diggory's mum is, is dying. And through various twists and turns, Diggory ends up in Narnia. And he meets Aslan the lion, who's the, the Jesus figure. And towards the end of the story, uh, we read this. Up until then, Diggory had been looking at the lion's great feet and the huge claws on them. Now in his despair, he looked up at its face. Hey, Diggory's despairing knowing that his mother is dying back in England and he's in Narnia. 
what he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life. For the tawny face was bent down near his own, and, wonder of wonders, great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. They were such big, bright tears compared with Diggory's own that for a moment he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier, sorrier about his mother than he was himself. My son, my son, said Aslan, I know grief is great. That's the Lord Jesus' words to you this morning. I know grief is great. If you're grieving, if death is on the horizon for those close to you, Jesus knows his tears are larger than yours. He feels the pain. He knows it. And of course, Jesus knows he's about to raise Lazarus. And yet still the grief is there because death, even if death will be conquered, and we'll see in a moment that he will be conquered, but even the fact that death will be conquered doesn't take away the pain in the short term. Again, sometimes I think Christians feel this need to, particularly if a, a Christian relative dies, to somehow be kind of stiff up a lipish about it. Almost like they can't grieve because we're Christians and we know that they've gone to heaven, and, but we still grieve. When Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he encourages them not to grieve as those without hope. But he doesn't say that they shouldn't grieve. Rather, they should not grieve as those without hope. Grieve, of course. Grieve with hope. But still grieve. Death is still a horrible enemy. And when Jesus sees it, meets it, he weeps. I can't tell you why one person dies young and one person lives to an old age. I've had family members, close family members, die in there, well, younger than I am now. And people close to me cut off young. I don't know why. No one will ever be able to tell you that. But we do know that we do not have a God who is unsympathetic. He weeps. But of course, weeping alone would not really help us, would it? Now, this story tells us not just that Jesus weeps, but also that he wins. He wins. Back to the passage, verse 38. Jesus has, has wept. And now it comes time for action. Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha's just not up for this at all. Lazarus, her brother, has been in there four days. It's the Middle East, remember, it's hot. Four days he's been in there. Don't do this, Lord. It'll be disgusting. But Jesus presses on. Did I not tell you if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so he prays, and they roll the stone away. And verse 43, with a loud voice, he cries, Lazarus, come out. And lo and behold, out walks Lazarus. With just a word, Jesus brings the dead to life. And that is the power of God, that with a word, he can transform death to life. There's no struggle, there's no wrangling, there's no dancing around in some sort of cultic religion, shedding blood and cutting himself. There is just a word, a simple word, and death flees, and life comes. 
Jesus' words are life-giving words. That is always the case, by the way. If you feel yourself spiritually dry, what you need is the word of God. It is through his word that he brings life to us. And here is a word that conquers death. So powerful is it that the story has been told. It's been attributed to so many different people. I don't know the truth anymore. But, but the story is told that when, uh, certainly of um, uh, Charles Spurgeon, that when he was a child in Sunday school, someone asked the question, why did Jesus say Lazarus come out? And Spurgeon said, because if he hadn't said Lazarus, all the dead in Jerusalem would have come out of their tombs. That is the power of Jesus' word. It is a word that conquers death. And Lazarus's tomb is, is deliberately pictured very much like the tomb we'll meet at the end of John's Gospel, Jesus' tomb. Uh, Jesus comes not just to weep at death, but to conquer death, and he conquers it by going through it. And not long after this incident, he will go to the cross, he will hang there, and he will die. His lungs will stop breathing, his heart will stop beating. Jesus has tasted death. Now again, God cannot die. We're told time and again in the Bible, God is immortal. But so much did he love us that that he didn't cling to that immortality, but he became man. And by becoming man, the, the son of God, Jesus could therefore die, die as a man. And that is what happened to him. On the cross, he went through what each and every one of us will go through one day if Jesus doesn't return before then. What is it to die? Well, of course, the doctors can give you one answer. Uh, the, the heart stopping, the, 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 the lungs no longer pumping. And yes, Jesus went through that. But, but to die in the Bible is to have your, your body and your soul torn apart. You're more than just a body. Okay, you know that, don't you? You're more than just flesh and blood. You have a soul, a spirit uh, inside you, the, the, the real you, if you like. And, and at the cross, well, Jesus experiences death, his body and soul torn apart. And that's why he can say to the thief on the cross, if you remember the story, today you'll be with me in paradise. Or he can say to his father, into your hands I commit my spirit. His spirit goes to paradise, to heaven, but his body is buried in the ground. So where is Jesus on Saturday? Okay, the Easter of Saturday. Friday he's died on the cross. Where is he Saturday? Before the resurrection. Well, there's more than one answer, isn't there? His soul is in heaven. His human soul is in heaven. And his human body is in the ground. He has been torn apart. But of course, all that time he's remained the son of God. And so both his soul and his body, one in heaven and one in the ground, remain united to his Godhead, to to him, the son of God. Jesus doesn't stop being God Okay, God cannot die. And so soul in heaven, body in the ground, both remain united to the Son of God. And therefore, on Easter Sunday, that, that resurrection morning, well, the two can be reunited, soul and body, as Jesus comes out of the tomb. Jesus conquers death. There's an old Scottish minister who used the illustration of a, a knight riding into battle and pulling his sword out of the scabbard. And the sword and the scabbard were apart but they were still both united to the night. That's what happened to Jesus. Body and soul pulled apart, but both still united to his person. He is God, the son. And so death has not won against him. Jesus conquers death 
at the cross and can take his life up on the Easter Sunday. That's why in verse 25 he can say, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Your trust in Jesus, put your trust in Jesus rather, and you're putting your trust in the one who can take you through death. You may still taste it, experience it. Verse 25 again. Whoever believes me, though he die, yet he shall live. Jesus isn't teaching fairy tales. He's not saying you're going to live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and never die. Most of us, probably, will die unless he returns. I don't know when. Neither do you. But though you die, if you've trusted Jesus, you'll live. You'll live. It's not an escape from death, but rather a rescue through death. And so what's it like to face death with Jesus, the one who weeps at death and the one who wins? Well, you can face death confidently. Death used to be an executioner, but the resurrection means he's just a gardener. So said George Herbert, just a gardener, just collecting more flowers for heaven. Death cannot cut you off from life, from God, from paradise. There was an American preacher called D.L. Moody, um, who seemed to be full of life. I don't know a lot lot about him, but he seems a a pretty kind of um, flamboyant character. Let's put it that way. He said this, one day you'll read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that's all, out of this old clay tenement into a house that's immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like his glorious body. I was born of the flesh in 1837. I was born of the spirit, trusted Jesus, in 1856. That which is born of the flesh may die. That which is born of the spirit will live forever. One day you'll hear D.L. Moody, a beast Northfield is dead. Don't believe a word of it. If you're a Christian, you can say that about yourself. One day you read that Emma is dead. Don't believe a word of it. One day you, you'll believe that Dan is dead. Don't believe a word of it. One day you'll hear that John T is dead. Don't believe a word of it. I'll have gone up higher. That is all. I mean, how else are you going to approach death? Uh, let me speak to you. If, if you're someone here who's still thinking about the Christian faith and isn't quite sure what all these Christians get up to and what it's all about, how are you going to face death? Very few people are going to ask you that question. How are you actually going to face death? My impression is most of us and society on the whole basically says science and sentiment are the two answers. Modern science will save us. But it's just a delaying operation, isn't it? It's like asking a university professor to give you an extension on the essay. You're still going to have to do it. Comic relief, 29 years now. There's a raid, 750 million. Sports relief, 150 million. Stand up to cancer, 100 million. Just on its first night. The Bill Gates Foundation, 38.3 billion to fight uh, tuberculosis and polio. They all talk about lowering the death rate, but none of them ever have. They might extend life expectancy, and that is a good thing. Medical science is a good thing, of course. But by what percentage has the death rate reduced the number of people who die over the last 100 years? You know the answer. Zero. 
And I can tell you at what percent it will reduce over the next 100 years as well. Zero. There is simply nothing you can do about it. The death rate the day Jesus walked the earth was one in one. The death rate in the Middle Ages with the Black Death, the plague, war, pestilence was one in one. The death rate today in peaceful, calm, modern, scientific, secular leads is one in one. And it will never change. We eradicate diseases and that is a good thing. We care for the sick and that is a good thing. But at some point, something will get us. Science cannot take you through death. And neither can sentiment. I mentioned earlier a a close relative of mine died. uh, And it was horrible, absolutely horrible. Uh, He he and I were the same age, we'd grown up together. And there was so much sentiment that poured in. But but so much of it was empty. Thinking, Thinking of you. It hugs to you, sending positive thoughts. I'm not, I'm not criticizing the sentiment. I just think people had nowhere to go. What do you do? This young man who was so close to us all cut off in the prime of his life. No Jesus, just no hope. It's just tragedy. We can say you're in our thoughts, but cancer cells just don't care. Death has no challenges. Death is the heavyweight champion of the world. It will knock each of us down. We can pour more and more money into extending the number of rounds we fight, but he will win. You can share as many posts to stand up to cancer, but cancer does not care. You are one of those statistics, and so you will face death. You will. But Jesus says to you this morning, I am the resurrection and the life. In him you can live. The reason we die is because of our sin, because of the way we've treated God, we've ignored him, we've turned away from that fountain of life we began the service thinking about. And so we deserve to die. And we deserve after after we die to continue to be punished for that sin. That's what the Bible calls hell. But, But Jesus so loved us that he came down, wept at the punishment that awaited us, this death sentence, but did more than just weep. He took our sin on his shoulders, uh, the very corruption that should lead to death. And he went and died in our place because he loves you. He loves me and he wants people to have eternal life. Lazarus, therefore, becomes a a picture. Uh, Lazarus, do you remember? Jesus waited till Lazarus died and then brought him back. We will die, most of us, as I keep saying. But Jesus promises that one day, Uh, One day, death will be undone. For now, if you die and you're a Christian, you experience what Jesus experienced in that sort of middle Saturday, if you like. Your body will be buried or whatever, and your soul will go to heaven, to paradise. But even that is not the end of the story. One day, what will happen to us is what happened to Lazarus, but even greater. Jesus will resurrect all people. He promises there will be a final day. A final day when all the, the pain, all the sorrow, all the cancer, all the sickness is wiped out. He will return, and then the dead will rise from their graves. Your body and your soul will be reunited. You will be resurrected, in other words. Have a physical body like he does. But the whole universe will be resurrected. The Bible closes with a picture of a new heavens and a new earth. Not a kind of floaty paradise, but a real physical earth. Who knows exactly what that will be like? Not me, not you. But we're promised it is real. And for now we have to live by faith. 
So can I ask you, what are you going to live for and what are you going to trust in? I spent this week, or a day this week at least, cleaning out an elderly lady's house who died. Um, my friends with her son-in-law, and so we spent the day. And she was obviously wealthy. We filled a whole skip with her stuff. Loads and loads and loads of stuff. There is simply no point living for this age because everything you get is going to end up in a skip. Someone else will clean out your house. But, but Jesus says, come to me. I will forgive you. I am the resurrection of the life. I alone can get you through the gates of death and open the gates of glory and grant you eternal life. What's it like to meet death with Jesus? What's it like to face death when, Jesus, when, when it draws near? Still pain, still sorrow for those who love you, but a humble confidence that is not the end, but the beginning of a far greater life than you ever had on earth. Come to me, says Jesus, all who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me, all who fear death. Come to me, all who know they're guilty. I will forgive and I will grant life. Come to him this morning for the first time or for the hundredth and find life again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, these are somber things we've spoken about this morning. And we know death is a great enemy. We know the pain it has caused in our own lives, in the lives of those we love. We know the fear that even speaking about death engenders in us engenders in our world. And so we praise you that this, this enemy we could never have defeated uh, was uh, destroyed at the cross, trampled underfoot at the resurrection. We praise you that you came, you who are the God of life, the source of life, the immortal God, came and tasted death as a man in order that we might live. So give confidence to those who fear, we pray. Strengthen our hope, our faith, in you as the resurrection of the life, bring to life those who still walk in darkness. And we pray that you would fill the halls of heaven with countless men and women and children who know your love, your mercy, and will enjoy paradise with you forever. Bless us, Lord Jesus, we ask in your own name. Amen.